The thing is, though, is there's a lot of manufacturing in plants just like that GM plant throughout that area around Queretaro and in Queretaro. There's a lot of different opportunities like that that have come to that city. It's been one of the safer cities in a lot of Mexico. A lot of people have moved there with that in mind. A lot of businesses have moved there with that in mind. Sadly, there's not a lot of churches that preach the Bible like this one that are there. And there's a great need for that, which is why we are going there. The city is 95% Catholic from the statistics that I have seen. It's between 90 and 95% Catholic. Different statistics, different people will tell you different things. Um, so it's kind of tough, especially in Mexico, to get really accurate numbers on population and stuff like that. But still, that's mostly Catholic. That's a vast majority that are Catholic. And what that boils down to, that means they are actively working for their salvation and they have no idea that it's just simply trusting in Christ alone for salvation. They are working in ways that we could not imagine. I couldn't even fathom trying to work that hard to try to earn salvation. I mean, I know that it's by faith through grace alone, but even if you're working for it, it's just like, well, that's so much effort. They're putting so much effort to it. There are so many different things. They give so generously trying to buy their way to heaven. No, that's not how it works. God doesn't bless that because that's just not simply how God works. There, I remember being down there with taking my wife there for the first time in August of a year ago. And we were there, we were surveying, we were taking some pictures. I was showing her around, kind of letting her see some of the city. We were just getting to our hotel in that city. We got there, uh, we just got into our room, and then I heard something that was gunpowder. I knew it was something gunpowder, and I'm thinking, we're in Mexico. I knew Queretaro was safer, but I mean, it's still Mexico, I guess. So uh, maybe we're not going to be seeing much tonight, honey. And as I hear that, I think, well, maybe it's fireworks, but it's five in the afternoon. It's still light out. It's still bright out. Why would they be setting off fireworks? And the missionary we were with was saying that's part of their prayer ceremony. Somehow the fireworks, I guess they get the prayers up to heaven quicker. I haven't tried that myself yet, uh, so I can't tell you whether or not it works. Um, I, if I were setting off fireworks, I'd probably be praying. Having seen some of the videos that come out from Fourth of July with people who... Uh, mishandle fireworks a little bit. I'd be praying really hard if I were dealing with fireworks, but I wouldn't be using the fireworks as part of the prayer. I don't, I don't think that that works. I haven't found that in my Bible yet. I don't know if you found that, Pastor Yoder. No, you haven't found that either. But that's how involved they are in trying to earn their salvation and trying to do these different ceremonies. They try to pray to the different saints. I couldn't keep track of that. I'm sorry. I could not keep track of how they have a different saint for just about everything. It's about the same way some heathen people have different gods for everything. And really that, um, especially in Mexico, the Catholicism, is very much like the heathen religions. They really took a lot of Aztec things and put that into the Catholicism that they have in Mexico, which puts it even further away from what the Bible says and what the truth actually is. So all that being said, that's why we're going there to start a church. What our plan is, is April of next year, we'll begin taking language classes. We'll be moving to Honduras for that. There will be a good child care set up. And I feel like I've talked to a lot of missionaries that their wives dropped out of language school because they were worried about the kids. And I feel like I heard that missionary after missionary after missionary, and I'm thinking, I want Brittany to know the language as well. She needs to learn it just like I need to learn it. And we will both be going through that, and that child care setup is a good situation there in Honduras. It's one of the few schools that we can go to to get a really good grammar focus while not having to deal with Pentecostal influence or anything like that. It's one of the best options for learning Spanish. It's the best option i found for learning Spanish the way we need to learn Spanish. So we'll be there for about a year, um, in Honduras, and then after that, we'll spend about a year with a national pastor that's about an hour from, away from we are in Irapuato, Mexico. Um, very similar area, a lot of 
it's still a fairly heavily Catholic city that he is in in Irapuato, and there's been a lot of manufacturing there as well. Um, and the Lord has been blessing his church. His church has been growing right now. They're in a building program. And I'm thinking if he is working and seeing results, I, I'd do well to learn from him. And I feel like I could learn an awful lot about Mexico and ministering there from Pastor Francisco Arache there. So we'll be doing that for about a year. And then that leaves us in about spring or summer of 2025 getting started on our own. So all that being said, we need your prayers to accomplish. This isn't going to happen on its own. I can't do this by myself. My family and I, we can't do this on our own. We need God to work. So please take our prayer card. Please pray for us. We'll keep your pastor posted with our prayer letters. And um, we just we would really appreciate your prayers. We need to see God do a work here with some probably some hard hearts. Some people that are set on doing things the way that their parents did it, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, and having to go against that tradition that they have in their religion to realize that they need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and their religion will do them nothing. Book of Mark in chapter number 4 is where we'll be at here this evening when we'll start reading in verse number 35. The book of Mark, chapter number 4. Here the Bible says in verse number 35, And the same day when the even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great call. And he said to them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And we'll pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this day that you have given us. Lord, we thank you for allowing us all to gather here together safely this evening, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would use the preaching of your word here this evening. Guide my mind and guide my words and guide my thoughts here this evening. And use this message to do what is needed in the hearts of those gathered here this evening. Work in all of our hearts, Lord. And show us what we need to do to serve you better, Lord, here this evening. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here before the passage that I just read, Jesus had been preaching to a multitude by the Sea of Galilee. He was standing in a boat, and there was a multitude gathered there on the shore, and he was preaching to them. I have no idea what that did for the acoustics. I know that for me, I don't think I could do that. I'm used to being on land, have maybe canoed and kayaked some, but I've not really done much on the water. I don't know how someone could preach a sermon while the waves are rocking and all of that. I don't know if they had a good break wall or something there. Um, But Jesus was able to preach somehow or another. I don't know how that worked out, but he was teaching parables to this multitude that was gathered there on the shore. And he was showing some of these different things to them. And when the evening was come, he said, hey, let's pass over to the other side. He wanted to get to the other side. Now, it's kind of convenient because they were already there in that boat. So going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee by boat was pretty easy. They didn't even have to load up. They were already there in the boat, and they just got ready to sail. And the disciples got the ship ready to sail, going to the other side. What's interesting is some of those disciples were fishermen. Jesus called Some of his disciples, I believe, Simon Peter and Andrew, some of the others, they had been fishermen, and they were preparing to be fishermen their whole lives growing up. And they had learned that. They had, I guess, studied that as best you can. I guess you just do that through practice just by 
uh, getting in the boat and fishing and going about the Sea of Galilee, but that very same Sea of Galilee that they basically grew up on was where they were taking their Savior now, where Christ was asking them to cross. And sometimes Christ is able to use abilities that we have, things that we learned that we didn't realize would be useful for ministry, but he says, hey, I need you to help in the ministry with this thing or with that thing. And he may make it clear to you in some way or another that he wants you to help in your church and your ministry here in some way or another, you may think, well, how is that useful for ministry? There's a lot of different things that happen in a church, a lot of different things that are needed in a church. And if the Lord is working in your heart about something specific, go to your pastor about that. Ask him, hey, can I help with this? And I'm sure he will be glad to take any help like that. Because there are a lot of things that we don't realize that, hey, that'll be useful. When Peter and Andrew were told to leave their nets and go fishing for men, to become fishers of men, they probably didn't realize that they would still have to get out on uh, the Sea of Galilee some more. That would be in their future some more. They may have thought that they had left that behind completely, but that was still useful in this instance for the ministry. And God can do that sometimes with things that we don't even realize, things that we don't think about He wants to use in His service. We have to have that yielded heart for Him. Now, while they were doing that, Jesus was in the back of the ship asleep on a pillow. So He'd been teaching that time, and after that time of teaching, He wanted to take a nap. And that's kind of understandable. As someone who teaches and preaches in different churches, after doing that on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon comes around, and that's just the natural thing to do. That's what your body, it's almost programmed to do that as a preacher. So if your preacher does that, I don't know what his habit is, make sure you guard that for him. If he does have a Sunday afternoon nap that he tries to take, guard that for him, protect that. That's in the Bible as far as I can tell. That's what Jesus was doing. Maybe that's a bit of a stretch, I don't know. But, I mean, do that for your pastor. Help your pastor with that area as well. In all seriousness, all joking aside, our Savior, there were probably a lot of nights more than we realized that he didn't sleep. There were a lot of times that he went without sleep as he was very busy working, praying, fasting, and trying to do his Father's business here on this earth. And this was probably just a little bit of time that he had to sleep before, well, the rest of what he had to do. Now, as that was happening, as they were going across the Sea of Galilee, and as I believe it to be night at this time, there was a storm that came. Now, a storm at night, that can be an interesting thing sometimes. It's kind of nice if you got like a tin roof and you got rain falling on it. That's the most relaxing thing possible. But this is a very different situation than that. This was a big storm, and they were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee at night. The shortest swim they could have to shore would be about four or five miles. It's about eight miles wide, 13 miles long, and that would be a pretty lengthy swim to shore. They wouldn't even probably know which direction the shore would be from where they were And they were thinking, we're going under. They were fearful for their lives. They didn't think that they were going to make it out. That was the experts at sailing, at being on the Sea of Galilee. They were the ones worried that they weren't going to survive this storm. That would be kind of like going through turbulence and your pilot is panicking and you can tell he is panicking as you're going on a plane. That's not somewhere I want to be. I'd want to parachute at that point because a panicking pilot is not going to get you out of that storm. And these disciples... They didn't see an earthly way possible to get out of that storm. And sadly, they got to the point that they wondered whether or not Jesus even cared. They used that phrase, carousel, not that we perish. They didn't say, hey, Jesus, can you help us? They asked if he even cared. And that is a spot that we have to be careful getting that calloused as Christians to think that our Savior doesn't care. He does care. Now, they were concerned. The experienced people were concerned. But what does Jesus do? He gets up as they wake him. He rebukes the storm. Then there's a great calm. But he doesn't stop at rebuking the storm. 
he also rebukes the disciples. He says, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? They weren't wrong to wake Jesus when they did. It wasn't a bad thing to do that. But they went to Jesus in fear and not in faith. And they let fear take over where faith was supposed to be in their hearts and in their minds and in their lives. Some things that we'll think about here this evening. Number one, the storm is not greater than the Master. In our world today, past two, three years, we've been facing what you could call storms. They're not literal storms per se. I guess literal storms do come and go. But there are difficulties we're facing as a world, as a nation right now. There are different things that we are facing. There are difficulties. There are trials that we are going through. You may be going through different difficulties and trials as a church, as an individual, as a family. I don't know your situations, but we face these things sometimes. If you aren't facing one right now, you'll probably face one at some point. That's just how life is. As we look at this story here, just by speaking, Christ was able to calm the storm. He was the one that had invented the water itself, the waves. He had made all of that. He knew that storm would be there. And he was able to calm that storm then just by speaking it away. He could do the exact same with the difficulties we face now. And he has that ability. Number two, we'll think about this evening, Jesus knows how much water the ship can take. We have to realize that Christ knows us more than we know ourselves. He he understands how much we can handle. I think of a time I was canoeing, and we were just renting canoes. I think it was a college activity. But I started to see a little bit of water in the bottom of that canoe. We weren't in a very deep body of water. It was just a little river. So it was just a little bit of water, and I was not concerned. We just continued canoeing, just kept paddling got done, got to the point where they were picking us up. And at the end of that, we hadn't gone under. The, wa- the canoe that we had was able to handle that amount of water. There was no issue at all. I didn't even really get wet. I think my shoes got a little bit of wet, didn't capsize the canoe or anything. We were all fine through that. And sometimes we can handle a little bit of water in our ship. We can handle a little bit of water in the boat. As we face trials, though, we have to realize that no trial that we face is meant to destroy us. That's not what our Savior wants to do to us. He loves us. He cares for us. And that is why He puts us through trials to strengthen our faith and strengthen our dependence on Him. As we think back to the disciples, they weren't wrong to turn to Jesus when they did, but they let fear take over. They didn't have faith through their trial. And we'll look at more later, I don't know that they really grew their faith through this trial either. We can't let fear take the place of faith in trials. These trials, they are to strengthen our faith, to show us that we can trust God through difficulties. As we see God work in our lives, even in the midst of difficulties, even in the face of great opposition, when we see God do that, that helps us realize more of just who God is and more of how God cares for us and more of how God wants to get us through these different things on earth and how He can help us through anything on this earth. We have to realize that. We have to remember that. Number three, our focus needs to stay on Jesus and on His power no matter how turbulent things may get. We need to keep our focus on Jesus. If we let ourselves get distracted, we're not going to be where we need to be. Spiritually speaking, we're going to get into that fearful attitude, that fearful mindset that we need to avoid. The thing is, though, it's difficult to maintain that focus. Storms can be a frightening thing. We think about Peter. He was walking out on the water to Jesus in another storm. And as he was walking out on the water in the middle of that storm, he was walking to Jesus. He was walking on top of the water just like Jesus was. You don't try this tonight because it doesn't work like that. This is, was a miracle for them. They had that. I don't think that the same miracle will work for you. It hasn't worked for me. 
at swimming pools and whatnot. It, it, it just doesn't work like that. But then this special instance, Peter was walking out on the water to Jesus. He had called him out there specifically. And as he was going out, he saw the storms, he saw the waves, and he got scared. That took his heart. It didn't just take his attention. It took his focus. It took his heart off of what Jesus had called him to do. And he ended up going under, and Jesus had to pull him up. But we think about it in life. Loud noises can easily distract us. If I were to just mumble quietly, if there was a little bit of rain coming through, if we're talking about storms, rain comes through, it kind of gets you calm and quiet, but that clap, that clap of thunder, that grabs our attention. We look and say, what happened? Where's that? Where did the lightning come from? We'll see it, we'll hear it, and we'll look that way. It's just an instinct. That's what we do. That grabs our attention. Any loud noise easily distracts us. Just like when I heard that loud noise in Mexico as we were checking into that hotel, that loud noise of fireworks, that got my attention very quickly. They have a way of doing that, but figuratively speaking, the storms that we face, they can grab our attention too. It's pretty easy to have your attention grabbed as you see the numbers go up the gas pump right now. That tends to be an attention-grabbing thing. I'd call that a storm that we're all facing right now. As those numbers keep climbing, that, that, gets, my, that gets my attention. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm looking at that thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be this going to be the new record for how much I'm going to have to pay to fill this thing up. That gets your attention. And that can distract us if we let it. But what, will, what do we have to do? We do get distracted sometimes. So number four, we will probably need to refocus to maintain faith. We cannot let a loss of focus be a long-term condition. That word focus, I don't know about you guys, but that makes me think of a camera. That's, I mean, that's a term that is used a lot with cameras. We all tend to have cameras on our phone nowadays. But that focus is an important part of a camera. A picture in focus is an important thing. That's what people like to see. As you see, I've got uh, different pictures I've taken of Mexico. I've tried to show you different video and stuff. Before my first trip to Mexico, I thought, okay, I'm going to need to get a camera to take good pictures of Mexico. So I got a DSLR camera. It's got a whole bunch of buttons, Nikon camera, bunch of buttons and switches all over it. I've learned some of how to use that and try, try to make some halfway decent pictures with that. And I've used that for a lot of different things. Uh, when COVID started, my wife and I were at junior church ministry. We were doing a puppet show and that kind of what we weren't really having services for a time where we were in Maryland. It was a very interesting situation with that. So my wife and I recorded a puppet show and put that on the internet for the kids to watch, try to still let them see that weekly puppet show that they had gotten used to through junior church. And I said, you know what, I don't have anything to hold my phone up, but I've got this camera, I can use that. Now I like Nikon cameras, they're great for taking pictures, but for video they do something that is so annoying. They completely go out of focus and refocus about 30 to 45 seconds into the video and about every minute. And that, that's not desirable. You know, a blurry puppets is not what the kids are wanting to see. That's not going to be something that will keep them tuned into that puppet show. So I said, you know what, it's got the switch for manual focus. I'll just flip it into manual focus. I'll get it focused, get it set up. We'll just leave it manual focus, have it recorded, and that'll be good. And the videos turned out great that way. And all was good and well with that until I was going on a little bit of a hike, taking some pictures. And as I was going, I'd push the button to normally focus, and I started to realize it wasn't doing anything. The camera, I'd push that button that I had programmed on the back to have it focus, and it would not focus. And I'm thinking, something's wrong with the camera. I, do I need to send it off for service? I think I got that extended warranty, which is going to turn out really good right about now. Because they'll be able to get me another camera, they'll be able to replace it. That's, that's a big problem. If it's, is it the lens? Is it the camera? And then I looked at the side and I realized it was user error. Um, I looked at the side and I realized I had left my camera in manual focus. And it was doing exactly what it was told to do. 
and staying in manual focus. I flipped that switch and I started taking more pictures, looked back at those pictures afterwards, like it was a bunch of blurry pictures. And that's, no one really likes a bunch of blurry pictures. It's not really, they don't really have a purpose. I don't think I've deleted them yet. So if you really want to look at them, I'll show you after service. Um, but who cares about blurry pictures? No one does. But if we think about our lives, as we go through our lives, if we let ourselves get out of focus and not have our focus on our Savior, on His power, and on His ability to take care of us, how useful and productive are we as Christians? You know, as I'm at that gas pump, if I'm so bitter at the people who are doing things to cause us the hurt that they are causing us, if I get so focused on that, am I going to leave a tract there at the gas pump? Normally in those times I don't. Am I going to try to witness to someone? Normally not. I need to get refocused myself sometimes, I know it. We all need to do that. But getting to the point where it's a simple flip of the switch, that is not an easy task. It takes time to develop that. It kind of reminds me of my bow and arrow. It's a process that, that takes time. My grandpa had given me a bow that he had won before I was born. I had got a little sight for it, some different stuff for it. And he had given that to me when I was in high school, and it was just a couple years ago that I finally had shot it and tried to shoot it and tried to get that sight that I had bought for it zeroed in. So I pull that string back, I let go, I was just aiming at a hay bale at about 15 yards, and it almost missed the hay bale on that first shot. It wasn't very good, uh, a lot less than desirable for what I wanted, so I adjusted the sight, pulled back, let go, and it was actually even worse after I adjusted the sight. It, it wasn't very good, I kept shooting, trying to adjust it a little bit here and there, and after the process, I almost lost an arrow. I completely missed a hay bale at 15 yards. That's about as bad as not being able to hit the broadside of a barn, literally. So that, that was not very good. And really what was more important is I need to learn how to use that device. That's going to take some time. That's going to take some me practicing that release, getting a consistent release with my fingers. And that's not something that's going to happen overnight. Uh, we don't travel with that bow and arrow because there's not many places where you can do that. Most hotels don't have an archery range which is quite a tragedy. So that's not going to happen at this point, but at some point if I'm going to hunt with that bow and arrow and actually have a deer halfway afraid of me, I'm going to have to practice with that. Right now, Bambi's not scared of me, uh, at least not with a bow and arrow. With a rifle, it could be different. But even with that, with a, another implement like a rifle, it takes time to actually learn how to use that properly. And how are we supposed to act like growing as a Christian is going to be any easier than any of that? It's not. We need to take time and invest time in doing that. As I've talked about some different weaponry, we think about what the Bible says, that using the sword of the Spirit. I've not learned how to fight with a sword yet, but that's not easy. It's not just as easy as picking up a sword and just going clang, 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 clang. You have to learn how to use that implement. You have to learn how to use that sword if you're going to be effective with it. Otherwise, things aren't going to go well in a sword fight for you. And in our, with our Bibles, we need to learn what the Bible says. We need to learn what the Bible means and we need to study to show ourselves approved. But not only do we need to do that, we need to get to the point that we have the right Christian focus and a big part of that is letting the Bible dictate our living and our thinking, looking at the world through the glasses of the Scriptures. I'm not telling you to duct tape your Bible to your face, although sometimes in our world that might not be a bad idea. What I'm saying is, is we need to look at our world but have in our mind what the Bible says as we're seeing what's happening, what's going on around us. And that is very important for us to be able to grow as Christians and to have that proper focus on our Savior. We think about the disciples in this story. They were looking at things through an earthly perspective. They weren't thinking about God's power. They weren't thinking about the miracles that had happened that they knew about. They probably knew about the Old Testament miracles. 
about Elijah's deliverance and all that happened in Elijah's life, all the miracles he saw, Elisha, the miracles he saw, the different miracles that happened all throughout the Old Testament that they had available to them, that they had to learn, the, the children of Israel crossing through the Red Sea. They had to know about that. They had to know about that from the law. That was a very important book to them. The Torah is so important to the Jewish people. They had to know that. And I, they didn't realize that, hey, that same person with that same power to split the Red Sea was the one sitting in the boat, the one that would calm that storm for them. They forgot that. They forgot how powerful God was. But what did they learn from this story? What changed? Did anything change? Turn to Mark chapter number 8. The book of Mark in chapter number 8. Just a couple pages over. And we're going to see... Actually, here we're going to see Jesus telling them something clearly that is going to happen. And we're going to think about how they responded with even hearing the very words of Christ. The book of Mark, chapter number 8, says in verse number 31, And he began to teach them, that The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. So Jesus is here explaining that he's going to be crucified, but he is going to rise again. He explains that to his disciples. He tells them that. They know that that is going to happen. So... When that time did come, were they surprised? That it would be a weird thing to be surprised by something that you know is coming. It, it's, a, it's a strange thing, but you think about the disciples. Judas betrayed Jesus, so he missed everything entirely. We think about Peter, we know he denied Christ. We are hard on him for that. But then there's still ten other disciples. Nine of those other disciples fled. Nine of the disciples fled. Only John stayed near Jesus during the crucifixion, all the rest of them were scared, thinking, oh no, they're coming for us. Even though Jesus had clearly told them that this was going to happen and that he was going to rise again, none of them were waiting near the tomb on resurrection morning. They had to run to the tomb to see Christ, or to see the empty spot, rather, pardon me. To see that empty grave, that empty tomb, they had to run there and see it. They had to wait a little bit more to see Christ. They were wondering what had happened. He told them what was going to happen. He explained that to them clearly. It, this kind of reminds me um, of my mother-in-law. And here comes a mother-in-law joke in the middle of a very serious part of the sermon. So my mother-in-law, we were watching some TV series. And she had previously watched this series. And we had come to a critical part. I think some character was dying or something. And she was like, oh no. She was shocked as if she had seen it for the first time. But she had seen it before. She'd forgotten it, and that's my mother-in-law. She has that ability to do that, but she had forgotten completely what had happened that she, when she had watched this before. It was a critical part of the whole series plot, and she was acting like she had seen it for the first time. I don't know if that was just for my sake because I hadn't seen it yet or what, but she was completely just in shock at what had happened. That's about how the disciples were. They were like, oh no, Jesus is being crucified. We have to run. We have to hide. They're coming for us next, and that's what they thought. And when, when they heard that the body was no longer there in the tomb, they're thinking, well, what happened to it? Where did they take Jesus? And he told them what was going to happen. They knew exactly what was going to happen. But how are we any different? When we read our Bibles, as, we hear, as you hear preaching from this pulpit, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, as you hear that, as you hear these different things, as you learn these different things, if you just ignore them, or don't act on them, or don't try to live them out, how are we any different when we don't try to follow the Bible, when we just say, no, that doesn't, 
Does that really apply to me? Is that really what's being talked about there? Is that really what the context is? Oh, that was for someone else at a different time. And we just try to explain away Scripture that is for us. Principles that are for us. Things that do matter to us. We have to learn and apply the Scriptures and we have to live out as principles. As we read our Bibles, we can't just say, oh, well, I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. We have to be yielded for that transformation that both your pastor and I talked about this morning that's talked about in Romans chapter number 12. We have to let it work in our hearts. We have to let it renew our minds. We have to allow it to do that. There's a lot of scholars that have read through the Bible and were unchanged by it. They didn't let it change them. If we're going to see God work in our hearts and in our lives, we have to read the Bible yielded to obey. You have to come to hear preaching yielded to obey what your pastor is going to talk about. We need to do that. We need to look to this word. As we think about it, we could try to say, well, man's philosophy on this or that or whatever. We could look at it with the perspective of man's philosophies, but that won't get you what God wants you to get. This is different than any other book. It's different than any other religious book, so-called. This book is the very Word of God. As you look at different philosophies that men have, they're unstable, they're changing, they're contradictory even at times. There's a lot of contradiction happening in our world right now, different things that 20 years ago, None of us would have believed that this would be the state of our world today. No one in this room would have believed that. If we take someone in a time machine from 20 years ago, they'd say, take me back. Take me back even further. Take me back further. I don't want to see that. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to have to have my kids go through what could be happening. Why is all of this happening? Because man's philosophy, they're unstable. They're changing. We have something timeless. We have something eternal that we can learn from. Something that we can build our lives around. And we need to look to our Bibles with that in mind. We need to read through our Bibles with that in mind. Now, our our logic, our reason, they don't trump the context of the Bible. We need to look at that. We have to read our Bibles yielded to obey it. We can't just try to reason it away or try to think, well, I don't really like that. There are going to be some parts that you don't really like. There was a church, and I was able to learn a little bit about knife making. I don't think the steel as they cut it and as they form it and as they shape it I don't know if the steel likes being cut like that. It doesn't look like a pleasant thing. I wouldn't want to have my finger cut like that steel is being cut. I know that it wouldn't be pleasant, but that's the only way to do it. The steel blanks that they get, they're fairly cheap because they don't do anything. You can't cut anything really with that steel blank or you're not going to want to try to cut something with a steel blank. But as they work, as they form, as they form that edge on that blade, after a lot of time and work and effort, a lot of sanding and grinding and cutting, they suddenly have a very useful implement for cutting things for gutting a deer or whatever, the deer that I can't hunt for, you know, you're able to do that after that. The Bible says iron sharpeneth iron, but we need to let ourselves be formed the way God wants us to be formed. He describes it like a potter with clay. Once the clay gets too hard, it's not useful. I tried, I tried doing that in, the, in art class, tried to help us uh, form clay and make the different pottery and stuff, and that wasn't very easy. And my, uh, I hope that I've thrown away my pottery because it looks just ugly. It takes a lot of work and effort to do that, you have to work quickly to keep the, uh, the clay from drying out. But we need to let our Savior work on us. We can't get hardened against our Savior as He wants to work on us through His Word. All that being said, we need to grow in our Bible reading. We need to learn what the Bible says. Why? So that way we can focus on our Savior the way we need to. That way we can get through life on this earth the way He wants us to. To be able to do what He wants us to on this earth and to be able to get through the storms the way He wants us to get through these storms. But why? 
Think back to our story in Mark chapter 4, and we'll be reading here in Mark chapter 5 in a moment. Why did they cross the Sea of Galilee? Jesus said, go to the other side, but he didn't explain why. Why were they to go across the Sea of Galilee? What reason? Was there a purpose that they went across? Well, let's look in Mark in chapter number 5. We'll start reading in verse number 1. Because the story continues there. And we can see why he wanted to go across the Sea of Galilee. The Bible here says in Mark chapter number 5, verse number 1, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God, that thou torment me not. For he said to him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about two thousand, and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus to see him that was possessed with the devil, and had the legion sitting and clothed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told him how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. As we look at that story that follows, what was waiting on the other side of the Sea of Galilee? Why did Jesus say, hey, let's go across? And why did they do it at that time? Why didn't they wait for the storm to pass? There was someone that needed some immediate help from Jesus. You look at verse 2, it says, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. I've heard someone say, and it could be the case, the way that the geography of that region was, that storm coming across the Sea of Galilee would be visible from those cliffs of Gadara, those, that, those mountains that the Bible talks about there, it looks over the Sea of Galilee there. And that maniac man probably saw that there was a storm there, but then he probably also saw that it just disappeared. That would grab my attention. That, grab, that may have been what grabbed this man's attention. Either way, he knew where Jesus was, he knew who Jesus was, and he ran down to Jesus. And he needed that help from Jesus. Jesus was the only one that could help him. Think about the disciples. They were just marveling at what Jesus had just done about that. They didn't realize that he had the power to work through them to cast out devils the way he would later on in the book of Acts. They didn't see that at this point. They weren't used to do that at this point. They were probably still not having that right mindset and that right faith, but Jesus was able to help this man. And as we go through the difficulties, the storms of life, you know what we will find more often than not? as we get through the storms, and even when we're in the middle of storms, after the storms, there's a lot of people that need help from Jesus. And there's a lot of opportunities that we have to minister to others and opportunities that we have to help others with God's Word and by God's grace. There's opportunities will be there. As we think about 
COVID. You know, that's hurt a lot of ministries. It's been difficult for many ministries. As we've literally traveled across this country on deputation, there have been a lot of different places in the north and in the south and in the east and in the west where people have had difficulties because of COVID in their ministries. It's not been an easy thing ministering with that and getting through that storm. It's not been an easy thing for churches. A lot of battles were fought. But something interesting has happened with really the mindset of our world. There's some bad things that have happened with the mindset of our world. But there's a lot of people around my age, my age and younger. I'm 27. There's people my age and younger that normally we just think, oh yeah, we're just going to live for a while. I mean, maybe you could say, yeah, we think we are going to live forever. And there's some people my age that act that way. And sometimes they act that way a little bit too much and they find out the hard way yet gravity still works in all of that. But there's a lot of people my age that are just thinking, yeah, you'll witness to them, you'll talk to them, they'll be like, you know what, I'll, I'll worry about that later. They put it off till later. They think, you know what, I don't need to worry about that now. I want to live my life right now. I don't want to be living that. I'll just worry about that later. And now things are starting to change with that mindset. People my age are saying, you know what, I might not have later. I, I don't know. I know I'm starting to realize I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. I might want to get this taken care of now because I I don't know what could happen. A lot of crazy things have happened with COVID. A lot of tragedies have happened with that, with people passing away. It's been very sad to see, but the thing is, is some people are realizing, you know what, I need to trust Christ as my Savior today. I don't want to put this off, and that is a good thing. When people are realizing, you know what, my life is a vapor. I don't know when my expiration date is. I don't know when my death date will be. I need to get my salvation settled now. I've talked to some people that just seemed ready to get saved. I mean, I just—I guess I needed to be there to just explain to them one last time from the Bible how to get to heaven, but they just said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Sometimes you have to kind of convince someone or you, people will still have questions or they'll want to talk about it some more. But I've talked to some people who are just like, yeah, I want to do that. Why not? Why would I not want to do that? Why would I not want to get that settled today? And I've seen that more and more. I remember we were in the Dallas area one time and there was a homeless person begging by what, where we were walking. And I handed him a gospel tract, and he took it. But not only did we take it, as we had gotten across the street, we looked back and saw he was actually reading that already. He didn't even wait to read it. He wasn't looking to see what other cars would give him money or food or whatever. He was reading that gospel tract, and that was a big priority to him. There's been a change in the mindset, and we have an opportunity as Christians to do more to reach our world and our communities with the gospel. We have that opportunity for us. As we face the other different difficulties, we have the opportunity to see how God can work, how He can provide, how He can take care of us. And the world around us will see God working and providing for us. And that will be a great testimony as we trust our Savior through the difficulties we face. And that will open up even more doors and opportunities. We think about this story here. Not only did Jesus help this maniac man be free from that, become a sentient human being, but this former maniac then began, I guess, serving as a missionary himself, you could say. He, start, he went to Decapolis. He started to say, this is what Jesus did for me. And even more people were reached. And all of that because they went through the storm. So as we face storms, and as we face difficulties, why is it important that we study and know our Bibles, that we see how Bible principle plays in from the book of Proverbs, from the book of Ecclesiastes, really from all of it, from cover to cover? Why is that so important? Because there are people that need help with the gospel. We need that focus on our Savior to be able to be His proper servants. To serve Him the way He deserves to be served. 
and to serve him the way that we can serve him. We'll go ahead, we'll bow our heads, we'll close our eyes. I will pray and the pastor will come and he will take the service. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that you allow us to share the best news in this world with others. There is no greater message than the fact that Jesus Christ died in our place so that we could go to heaven. He died to save sinners. And that is the only way to heaven. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to share this good news. Help us, Lord, though, to be bold in sharing this news. Help us not to put our candle under a bushel, but help us to stand up on a candlestick as you ask us to, and let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Help us to live the way we ought to. Help us to trust you the way we ought to through these storms so that we can witness for you the way we ought to. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Thank you so much for that message tonight and uh, encourage you to uh, look, go by their table, pick up a prayer card, remember them in prayer, and uh, appreciate that challenge this evening. Uh, it was uh, always a blessing to have. I, I mentioned it this morning, but I like to see young missionaries, amen.